0: Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from howstuffworks.com. So, Robert. Yeah. What is an astronomical unit?
1: I don't know what is an astronomical unit.
0: It's one hell of a big apartment. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, guys. This is and the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: And this is Robert Lamb, a science writer at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: And that comes to you uh, from Bruno in Switzerland. We've been putting the call out for jokes lately on Facebook. Yeah,
1: some nice cheesy science-related jokes.
0: There's no reason that scientists can't be humorous.
1: And there's no reason that scientists can't smell fabulous, right?
0: Right, right. So today we're talking about the science of perfume. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the worst smell you like. You know, sort of the smell you're not supposed to like, but you do... For me, it's 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 kind of a weird
1: concept, but go on.
0: Well, you know, you know, it smells bad for you. You're not supposed to be sniffing it. Oh, you know, I'm not talking about you know sniffing something to get you know an effect, but just you kind of like the smell of it, like gasoline is mine. Oh,
1: okay. It's like I'm not talking about huffing, but gasoline (laughs) smells fabulous.
0: No, but I I do like it. (laughs) Also, on that vein, uh, rubber cement.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Wait, what's yours? Um. Well. I mean, I'm one of these people, I tend not to think of, like, smells I like as being, like, horrible. Right. Um, well, like, one example, okay, durian fruit kind of gets a, a bad rap for being... It
0: does, indeed. Have you ever eaten one, by I the way? I have,
1: yeah. That's the thing. I, it's like I finally got to try it when um, my wife and I went to Thailand last okay. year. And, um, and granted, we were outdoors in a well-ventilated area. And, okay, everybody's just like, oh, durian fruit, it smells horrible, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I mean, not the people who sold it to us, obviously, but but, you know, you hear that especially here in the States and um, and I really wanted to try it and give it a fair shake, because I'm kind of th- thinking like this is kind of uh like western you know chauvinism, it's like I you know right. saying but I don't want this fruit.
0: you're an equal opportunity fruit, yeah, guy. yeah, so
1: I gave it a shot, and it was it was really good. I mean, it's I think the thing with the durian fruit is that you kind of have to go into it expecting more of a cheese, like it's some sort of a cheese fruit kind of a thing, but um uh, really, yeah, huh, but in terms of things that like I guess I do have to admit that uh, I now remember that like sometimes like when I painting. Like painting like house painting and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there is something kind of nice about that smell. Yeah. Like it almost kind of smells chocolatey somehow to me. Like I should eat it.
0: Yeah, well I think that also has to do with the texture of the paint Hmm. a little bit. You know, it has that like thickness when it's going on and
1: And I guess we do tend to paint like the painting jobs I've been on, it tends to be kind of like a brownish or a tannish, you know, or like even like a white chocolatey kind of color. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, technically, that could be a perfume because perfume is a pretty – I mean, you can define pretty much anything as a perfume. It's a pretty loose definition. It's basically something that you wear and something that smells. Okay. I mean, I'm sure the professional perfumers out there have a more rigorous uh, definition, but for our purposes
1: (laughs) – Like they don't count like Irish Spring as a perfume.
0: (laughs) But it doesn't necessarily have to smell good or good to everyone, right?
1: Definitely. (laughs) Based on some of the perfumes I've smelt on uh, public transportation.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So for our purposes, let's talk about liquid perfume, you know, the stuff you're going to find in a bottle, um, you know, a sprayer, a spitzer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just going to be a combo of alcohol, water, and whatever key ingredients that evaporate at room temperature that you, you know, want to throw in to make your signature fragrance. Okay. And when you're smelling perfume, you're really just sniffing a bunch of evaporating molecules, right? Your nose detects perfume, and it sends a message to your brain, creating this perception Okay. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it may be. And, you know, that's what's going on in the elevator. Have you ever had this experience? I know all of you listeners <laughs> definitely have. You walk into the elevator, you know, somebody gets on at the next floor. They walk in, in with them, trails this just fragrant cloud <laughs> of cologne or perfume. And I won't say it's women or ladies or, or men because, it, you know, I think both oh, sexes both. Yeah. definitely do this.
1: Like there was this one dude that um, I, I used to work with him in a before i came to house of works and it's like i remember the day he came in to apply for his job it was like you know like comes in through the door and it's just this stream of just r- just really strong like cologne was just hanging off of him and then he left and like the cologne stayed i think that's why they gave him the job it's like it's going to smell he like made him a here lasting anyway. impression yeah he did that man made an impression
0: yeah when i was in college this reminded me a lot of uh, thursday nights you know, you'd be going out mm-hmm. and uh you get in a you get in the elevator with a with a boy and he would just you know the whole elevator would smell like jacquard noir.
1: do you remember that cologne? <laughs> I think I remember I think maybe my dad had an old bottle of it and I like found it somewhere and it was it's like dark looking right it's like dark manly looking cologne I think so like the more it looks like whiskey the more it's okay for guys <laughs> to wear it
0: yeah if I sniffed it now it'd totally take me back. <laughs> So, what's going on with the individual ingredients in those perfumes? Like, what's making the Jacquard Noir linger so long?
1: Uh, well, my understanding is that, uh, the alcohol works to spread out the different smells, right? Allowing you to, to, uh, to pick up the different hints and the the complexities of the perfume. Otherwise, you'd be smelling them all at once, right?
0: Right. So, writer Susan Nasser, who wrote the article on our site about, uh, how, how perfume works, mm-hmm. was talking about, um, in the, in the case of a perfume oil, um, if you were just to smell that perfume oil, which is the mm-hmm. really concentrated essence of the smell, it, it would kind of be like, uh, hearing all the members of an orchestra all play at the same time. Yeah. You're not going to hear the, you know, the tuba kind of rumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's a perfume oil, but the alcohol, right? It allows you to, uh, hear or smell as the case may be with perfume, all these notes. Um, okay. Not at once. It, it spreads them out, like you said. Okay.
1: It's kind of like if you go to a tapas restaurant. And like they bring out a, you, you don't a want topless a restaurant, a topless restaurant <laughs> where and it and it's uh you don't want all the tapas at once and gobble them down in a hurry. You want to be there for like a lengthy period of time, getting the one by one. Right, kind of definitely, definitely. All right.
0: So in that same vein, it makes sense that uh, a lot of perfumes and when we're talking about perfumes, again, perfume does not apply to women or men. It's just it's like we said, a smell. Right. Um. So they have a three part smell, and each smell is called a note. In the perfume industry, that's what they like
1: to call them, but it's just jargon. And I was not familiar with this at all before we researched this. It's pretty cool.
0: And and the smells have different rates of evaporation. So on the top, you're going to have your top note, right? Okay. And uh, you're going to smell these within 15 minutes of applying. This is where you're going to find kind of the racy, unpleasant, spicy, weird smell, you know, something that the designer threw in to just kind of, you know, be crazy.
1: This is the don't apply your perfume on on the train, Smell right when the person yes. next to you decides to put it on, and you're like, "Geez, that—that's this. This is the top. These are the top notes in action, right?" Yeah,
0: okay. yeah. And and these are the ones, luckily, that evaporate first.
1: Okay.
0: So it would take us to the take us through the heart notes. All
1: right. Well, this uh, apparently starts showing up after three to four hours after you've gotten off the train. Uh, <laughs> ideally, uh, hanging out at work. Yeah, and uh, these evaporate more slowly from the skin. Uh, the phase of the the perfume's life tends to be what you this, this is the this is the phase that makes the the most impact. This is what you remember. This is the the, the prime perfume life stage.
0: Right, Robert. If you were wearing a floral perfume, uh, uh, do you wear a floral perfume? And no. Okay, so this is where you would find your floral notes. <laughs> okay. Okay, and then you got your base notes, right? And so these form obviously the foundation, of the perfume, the base of the perfume, and they linger the longest after you douse yourself in the morning, five to eight hours long, in fact. Okay. And it's not just the chemistry of the perfume and, you know, the rate of the m- molecules evaporating. It's you're a factor, too, right? So the top notes of the perfume are going to disappear faster if uh, your skin is nice and dry and warm um, rather than if you're kind of cool and oily.
1: Huh? So you're going to so when you go shopping for a perfume, you, you need to sort of carry some of that information with you. Like, no, am I, you know, what my how my skin is going to behave with it?
0: Sure. I mean, I, I guess it wouldn't hurt to keep that in mind. And then how you store the perfume is going to affect the chemistry as well. If okay. you store it in, in bright light, that can impact the bonds and the fragrance molecules and break them. Um, and then you are you can have bright sun that can uh, damage perfume within a week's time. And that was according to Luca Turin and Tanya Sanchez, authors of uh, the 2008 book, Perfume, A Guide.
1: Huh. That's the one where the dude kills all the ladies, right?
0: No, that's <laughs> fiction. <laughs> that's a different novel. By Patrick Susskind. Yeah. Yeah, the protagonist of that. What is he? He's trying to...
1: He's trying to... I, I've, I've seen the movie. I've not read the book. I read but the book. I I haven't to. seen the movie. Oh, okay. Well, we complete each other in that then. Yeah, he's like... <laughs> um. He. If I remember correctly, he wants to like... He like falls for these different ladies and like...
0: He, what does Refines
1: he them into a... Into perfume.
0: Right. He wants to, according to Amazon, I believe, capture the scent of a, a beautiful young virgin.
1: That's it. That's what he's trying to do.
0: And by virgin, I meant virgin.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but right, it, it was sort of like Silence of the Lambs, but with perfume. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty good. The movie was pretty fabulous, pretty visual. Really? Yeah, it had Dustin Hoffman as a perfumist in it. No yeah. kidding. But but back to the uh, the storage thing, what's weird to me about the whole visible light breaking it down, it's like most perfumes come in like little glass vials, right? I mean, well, it's, true. it's just begging to, to be broken down by the sun. And
0: they're begging to be displayed, right? I mean, because packaging, of course, is such a big part of perfume yeah. as well.
1: Well, that goes into uh, in our another podcast uh, that we did on uh, the, the smell and science.
0: Yeah, we've been on a smelly bender yeah. this week.
1: Well, there's a whole deal about how like how um, you know the information from our other senses also affect how we perceive a smell. If you tell me that a cheese is cheese, then I'm going to respond better than if you tell me a cheese is body odor. And and likewise, they I think say, in
0: general that's it. That's a good assumption. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> is,
1: it's like they say that it also ends up applying to like the the shape of a perfume uh, container, or the like you know, the different the name, or you know what are all these different factors that uh, that they're using to sell it to you. It's like you shape it like an apple, even if it doesn't quite smell like an apple. It's like you're going to be more inclined to think apple when you right. when you sniff it.
0: Right. So smell being much more than just the physical act of sniffing. Yeah. So before we move on, I just wanted to touch on, there's one other process that, uh, can, can harm your perfume. And you guys know this is oxidation. So this is what's going to turn your uncorked wine into vinegar. And it it can do a number on your bottle of Chanel number five as well.
1: Okay. So don't keep your perfume out in a, like, trough on your, (laughs) on your desk. Okay.
0: Yeah. And storing your uh, perfume at room temperature in the dark and in a spray bottle preserves it well. Maybe a shelf life of two years, which is interesting because I think I tend to keep my sense much longer than two years, note hmm. to self.
1: Okay. Got to go home and clear out the perfumes. Yeah. Pour them all down the sink.
0: Yeah. No, I will not do that. <laughs> so why do we wear perfume? I found this uh, pretty interesting. Um, so the writer, Susan Nasser, interviewed this psychologist, Rachel Hertz, uh, and she's a she's a Brown University and she's researched smell pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. so Hertz had a couple uh ideas about uh why people wear these scents you want to take the the men
1: ones uh yeah and this this makes a you know a lot of sense like young men wear fragrance to attract um women or or men um you know whatever the right. preference and uh of course that makes perfect sense and that's like the stereotype too you know it's like guys putting on some sort of funky scent generally and and oftentimes maybe not generally but often not knowing quite what they're doing when <laughs> when they're picking one out um so that's the young guys, and then the older men, uh, according uh, according to Nasser, uh, older men wear it as a nod to the person who gave them the perfume. In other words, I'm wearing this perfume because I got it as a gift, and I've got to use the whole bottle, or I'm never going to hear the end of it.
0: And I think you, and I think you think it smells nice. So
1: yeah, so I guess it smells nice. I'll wear it if she likes it.
0: Well, we're going out to dinner. Might as well douse myself a little bit.
1: Yeah, generally I don't receive perfume as a except from uh, Bonnie's grandmother. Gave me perfume one year. Yeah? Yeah. I think we quietly destroyed it.
0: (laughs) Hope she's not listening. I hope not. Um, So young women may wear it because of friends uh, and and media influence. This one actually rang true for me. I remember at a certain point in my life, um, in middle school, I think, I did start to wear fragrance. And it wasn't because I... You know,
1: I wait, you probably wore it. Didn't you like wear it earlier? Like you went and like tried on all your mom's perfume at once? So yeah,
0: that's you know, probably different. true. I probably did. But you know, I actually bought a bottle from mm-hmm. my local drugstore or something like Baby Soft or I don't even know some terrible <laughs> perfume. Not that it's terrible, but I, I just probably wouldn't buy it now. <laughs> um, but it was very much something that all my friends were doing. So it was more like in, you know, a reflection of growing up or something to that effect. Okay. Um, so hers, the psychologist that uh, that our writer interviewed, says that women in 30s do it just because, you know, they want to. Uh, once you get into your 40s, they're wearing it because they like it. This sounds random to me, though. I mean, you don't like it before then?
1: Well, I mean, maybe it's kind of like with, you know, like some people's deal with, like, say, beer. You kind of like you drink. Beer tastes horrible at first. Yeah. And then supposedly if you drink enough of it, you start to love it. And then you, you – you, like it takes a while to like build up an appreciation for mm-hmm. it. So maybe it's like you spend your 30s, you know, using these perfumes, but you don't really necessarily like it. But, you know, after a while, then you develop this real appreciation for it and then you're, you know, totally into it. Yeah, I can see that being the case.
0: By 60, again, the women are just wearing it to please others. <laughs>
1: Well, maybe they're just just—they're just nice old ladies, and they're like, I'm just going to wear this because my son got it for me, and it will make him happy. Kind of a deal, you know? Right, right. Old um, ladies are just nice. That's what I'm saying.
0: So sense can affect our moods and our behavior, right? We know this. I mean, it okay. can pull up some sort of treasured memory, and it can influence our actions. And there have been a couple interesting studies in this vein. Um, I think that you guys have probably heard of the one about the Cinnabon. Have you heard about that? We were talking about this a little bit before the podcast.
1: Yeah, what was the deal with this again? It's just... The, so, the scent of Cinnabon. Right. Powerful. So
0: put the put the scent of Cinnabon in the air. Uh, do it, you know, in a mall. Or, okay. And um, what you're going to want to do is you're going to get some people involved. You're going to get your uh, participants. And uh, you get one person to drop something. Okay. And then um, see if a stranger picks up that pencil, say, that you dropped. Well, it turns out if you have the smell of Cinnabon in the air, um, people are more likely to pick up that pencil. The stranger is more likely to pick up <laughs> that pencil. Good smells – uh, as a correlation with, you know, good behavior. You know, huh. you're going to pick up a pencil. Maybe you'll give directions. Maybe you're just going to be an all-around nice person as long as you're whiffing cinnabuns.
1: Wow. It's kind of interesting. It, can, it makes me think of like a futuristic society, you know, where everybody is like a perfect citizen, and they're doing it because they're just constantly pumping out the odor of Cinnabon.
0: You know what this really made me wonder, and I didn't have time enough to get into it before the podcast, was what do casinos smell like? I'm not a hardcore gambler, but I huh. had to wonder how they...
1: This... Sadness. <laughs> stale cigarettes sadness and cinnabon those nice old
0: ladies playing the slots i don't know
1: that's a really cool i'm gonna i'm very curious now
0: so there's a study in france that followed a sort of similar cinnabon protocol only um they checked to see whether a woman who uh, was wearing perfume would um influence this sort of similar behavior in strangers so um you know she would drop something from her purse and she would see they would see if strangers would help her pick up that object and in fact uh they did, you know, okay. the woman wearing the perfume brought yeah. out that behavior again.
1: She smelled like Cinnabon.
0: <laughs> no, she smelled like a, a, oh, a different okay. perfume. Okay. No, they okay. they did not.
1: We'll see, they should combine these two uh, studies,
0: right? Maybe they have the it has a best effect if it's a Cinnabon perfume. I hope so. And then there is I'll uh, just one final study that I'll get to here. There's a study published in the Journal of Psychological Science, and that found that a citrus scented cleanser was associated with people behaving more fairly. When they played a game, uh, a classic trust game, according to this article I found in the Boston Globe,
1: like apples to apples or what?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't huh. know what the game was. Yeah. So fair behavior, people picking up pencils for you. I mean, it does seem like scent can influence action, I, and, it, and that's just you know a smattering of studies that have been done. Huh. Uh, there, there are many more to explore. But let's let's take a break from that and look at the genetic side.
1: So each of us has a genetically determined number of odor receptors or cells in our nose that grab fragrant molecules out of the air around us.
0: So with more receptors for a class of compounds like, say, lily smells, you're going to (laughs) smell lily at a lower concentration, but at normal amounts the smell could be intense and overwhelming.
1: All right. But too few receptors can be a problem. Why is that? Well, uh, for example, cilantro's fragrance uh, consists of many odors. If your uh, genetic code spells out a variation that reduces your number of receptors for an odor. You may miss one of cilantro's many odors, and it may smell soapy to you. We've uh, touched on this before.
0: Yeah, we did on yeah. the genetic stuff. Yeah, hop- talking
1: about it tasting soapy and, of course, scent and taste are blood brothers.
0: Indeed. So let's get to the evolution side. And one question that people have thrown out a lot are, you know, are our olfactory likes and dislikes programmed? And there's a pretty healthy argument on this area. So on the pro side, some people are going to argue that the answer as to whether we like certain smells isn't really genes, but history, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, you know, way, way, way back history. Right, so, like
1: grazing, like just foraging for food kind of things. Like like I smell fruit. I eat fruit. Fruit's great. I wish everything smelled like fruit. It's the Cinnabon thing again.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, right. So that kind of harkens back to our foraging days, our hunting and gathering days. And then you know on the other hand we're not gonna like the smell of you know urine feces or you know maybe rotten or fishy smells
1: yeah because like urine could like it could be telling me that somebody else's territory uh, you know fecal all, all that's gonna potentially so, have parasites and pathogens
0: disease infectious agents mm-hmm. right so there, could there be an evolutionary mechanism at work there that's that's one thought school of thought on this
1: I, I'm I'm game to believe that
0: well, what about the other side of the argument?
1: Well, yeah, there's the other side of the argument that says that smells aren't evolutionary programmed. Uh, and this is this is kind of like the, the sort of short, short and dirty version of this is like people can get used to anything, right?
0: Right. Uh, right. Your culture preference, your personal experience can override sort yeah. of any smell. I mean, if you grow up with a latrine smell, maybe it's not going to bother you.
1: Yeah. You grow up, um, you know, gutting fish, then the fish smell's not going to bother you.
0: Back before the days of refrigeration, um, Nasser writes in her article the smell of rotten meat was tolerated and even liked in Europe. Yeah, I guess I just don't really have a perception of rotten hamburger meat per se. Yeah. Just because the refrigerator does play such an important
1: role. Well, I, I, one example that comes to mind is like I don't know if you you know if you ever go to like uh, like sort of foreign or not even foreign but just kind of like I guess like sort of Asian like kind of. Uh, like fish markets and stuff mm-hmm. or I guess just any fish market it's like I'm not around them so when I go to them it's it's a bit overpowering right but I'm thinking like people a people are around it a lot are gonna be more less inclined to think it's stinky and also if it's like more like a cultural thing you're gonna tolerate it more
0: yeah or maybe even you know say you're a smoker
1: yeah. right
0: you know how smokers can't smell themselves but if you walk into an elevator with a smoker, you can instantly smell it. Or if you're mm-hmm. riding the train with somebody who, you know, hit happy hour, maybe they can't smell the alcohol on them, but I mean, it just wafts over to you in a giant cloud of dirty martini. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, so, so that's really the other side of the argument is that, yeah, like you were saying, we can override any of these preferences and evolution really doesn't have a whole lot to do with, uh, with smell. So I think we gave you guys a lot of odor for thought.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think it's yeah. Next time you throw in a little perfume, you might think about it a little differently. And, and also, like maybe even like go ahead and mark down on your schedule, like which phase of the perfume is gonna <laughs> is gonna line up with what part of your day. It's like, oh crap, I got a three o'clock uh, um, you know interview, and that's after phase two ends. What am I gonna do about my floral notes being gone?
0: yeah so we love to hear from you guys smelly thoughts or, or otherwise so uh send us an email at science stuff at com or uh, connect with us on facebook
1: Yep, yeah, we're uh, on there as stuff from the science lab uh also find us on twitter as lab stuff and uh hey, hey and shoot us some jokes you know yeah. G- give us uh, some sort of nice cheesy science joke include your you know your name and where you're from and we will uh try and throw it up there at the start of the podcast if it's good
0: all right that's all we got thanks for listening guys